Hi, I'm Megan. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are spending a couple weeks on a series called The Healer. And we're doing this, um, honestly, because we love you. We really do. As um, your pastors, your elders, your session, and we read those prayer requests that you put on the gray cards that come through to us as a five or six page single typed word document from Eileen Barnes every week. And your prayer requests are just loaded with the need for the God to, for God to heal. And we believe in uh, the God with the power to heal. And so we needed to talk about him and needed to share the stories of him healing. Maybe you already believe that God has the power to heal. Maybe you are completely skeptical about that. What I'm hoping is that over these weeks of looking at the stories of God healing, that your imagination might be piqued a little bit. And full disclosure, I'm really hoping that you come to the end of this series and believe that God heals, sees you, and that he wants to save you. And that that saving includes healing. So I'm just going to be wide open about um, that hope for you. We are looking each week at stories um, that are recorded in the Bible that really happened when a man named Jesus walked the earth and demonstrated God's ability to heal. We believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. So when we see him heal, we we see the will of God to heal. And we believe that God can see the whole world on eternity scale, right? Wouldn't it be amazing to have 2020 vision all the time, right? Hindsight's 2020. God has that all the time. But God also left eternity and entered into time in the person of Jesus, limiting himself to the experience of life moment by moment. And so we believe that we worship a God who fully understands the passing of each moment, And understands the pain, what it looks like to pass moment by moment in pain. And so we believe in a God who desperately values what you're going through. Who actually understands it. And who has comprehended it himself. So we believe that our lives matter to God. That our suffering matters to God. And that he sees you in it. And he saves you in it. So I'm speaking today both as a pastor, but also as a human being of the compassion of God and of the power of God, especially when it comes to chronic illness. I don't think anybody has this figured out. If they do, I will concede the microphone. Um, but I'm not, trying, I'm not trying to speak out of my experience. I'm speaking out of the stories of God, what I know to be true, and what we can understand about God through the stories of him him healing. We're looking particularly this week and next at a two-part story that unfolds, and I call it the tale of the two daughters. It's the tale of the two daughters. If you came today because somebody um, invited you to come here about healing, about what God is teaching about healing here, and you came curious You're already halfway there in the story. You're so much like uh, the daughter that we're going to talk about today. And I hope that you find what she found, which is God who sees her and saves her. So let's dive right into this, the tale of the two daughters. It comes from Mark chapter 5, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 21. There's a pew Bible in front of you if you want to open it up. I'm on page 840, or um, Sky Bible will have it for you as well, okay? So Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. 
And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Jesus, would this story once again come alive to us? Would you show yourself by your spirit to everyone here that you are the God who sees and who saves? In Jesus' name, amen. I'm so grateful to be a part of a leadership team on this church. I'm not the only preacher here. There's a number of us. And one of our practices is that we send our sermons to one another midweek beforehand for correction and for um, other contribution. And this week was uh, such a group effort because as I sent it out, the team spoke back to me of how they felt like the daughter in their own life, how this, this passage was coming alive to them. All around you, within this crowd of people, there are people who represent these two daughters who have both public and private desperations for Jesus. And that, it, that extends age and passes through race and economic and leadership. It, it, um, illness knows no um, boundary. It is, it's crossing over all of us. And so what I'm praying is that we can all be in the crowd today and experience the God who sees us and who heals us. We're relating to the two daughters. Who's the first daughter in the story? Jairus's daughter, right? So she's the daughter of the, the named guy, the, guy, the one who everyone in the town knows. We find out more about her later. She's 12 years old and she's at death's door. We're going to come back to Jairus's daughter next week. This week we're looking at the second daughter. Who's the second daughter? The one who is hemorrhaging, right? This, this is an unnamed woman, a woman who suffered for every day that the little daughter, Jairus' little daughter has been alive. She's been suffering her whole life. 
She um, has been cast out of the town. We'll look at that in a little bit. She spent everything that she has. If anyone has said, have you tried this? She's tried it. Have you seen this doc? I've seen him. And um, she, her story, God really wants us to know this unnamed woman's story. And I just want you to hear that if you are someone who suffers from chronic illness, Jesus knows your name. We don't know her name, but he wanted us to know her story. And likewise, he sees you and he wants to save you. There's a whole chunk of stories in this chapter, Mark chapter 5, where Jesus is demonstrating to us his incredible power, the power of God to heal. And in each of these stories, there's a word for healing. And this one, it shows up with made well. That word for healing is is multifaceted. It's not just physical healing. It's body and soul healing. It's also translated salvation. Jesus is demonstrating that he has the power of salvation and his salvation is whole. God sees so much more of our healing than we see in so many more realms. And aren't we so glad that salvation of Jesus includes physical restoration? Are we so glad for that? And so I want you to see right up front that what we're talking about here with Jesus saving and him healing is a whole body salvation, a power that extends beyond the physical into the spiritual, the emotional world. Physical healing is part of your whole salvation package, if you will, um, that all who follow Jesus receive from him. The unnamed woman knows that she needs salvation on a lot of levels. There's the obvious hemorrhaging, the pain that comes with that, the embarrassment from that kind of condition. There's the social aspect of that. She lived in a day and an age when the Jewish law would have prevented her from touching anyone. So she wasn't allowed in worship services. She couldn't have been intimate with a partner. She would have had to call out anytime she was going to walk through a marketplace. She was not to be touched. She can't keep a job. You can, you can imagine, and that some of you with chronic illness know the isolation of chronic illness. For those of you who have not suffered chronically, you may not understand all of the realms that get affected with illness. And you may think that you're empathetic to someone with chronic disease, but I think we're actually guilty of so often not being empathetic to someone with chronic illness. Think about when you're on a plane. How do you feel when you're first sitting down, getting settling, and the person behind you starts hacking and sneezing? What goes on in your brain? Nuh-uh. Not breathing into my air vent today. I'm not getting the flu from you. What are you doing on this plane? Right? We think that we're empathetic, but we often are going nuh-uh in our brain all over to people who suffer from chronic illness. I have shared before about um, our long suffering through eight years of infertility. And that that illness came on so many levels. There's obviously the physical. There was um, the social. It was hard to move into Gig Harbor without a kid. There's so much you don't get invited to without a mom badge, you know? And then there was so much emotional pain that nobody intended, but I couldn't like really snap at you, you know? But if I just had a dollar for every time someone had said, well, have you tried adoption? Because if you just open an account for adoption, you're going to get pregnant right away. It happened to so-and-so and so-and-so. I mean, seriously, I could have paid for everything if I had just had a dollar. Um, it's unintentional wounding. But we as a society go nuh-uh all the time to people who suffer from chronic illness. And I just wonder, have you been in, have you been in her shoes? 
Or can you get there? Can you empathize with this woman? Because the woman in our story is the sneezer on the plane. She's the one who has been told nuh-uh by everyone in her life for 12 years. She has spent everything that she has on every physician. She has suffered much, and she's not better, but rather she has grown worse. Now, in verse 27, it says, she had heard reports about Jesus. Can I hear someone say, she had heard? She had heard. Okay, let's do this one more time. Let me hear you say, she had heard. She had heard. Okay, so she had heard reports about Jesus. And she came up behind him and touched him, touched his garment in the middle of the crowds. I'm going to need to hear somebody gasp. Can I hear you gasp? (gasps) Okay. She had heard reports about Jesus and she came up behind him in the crowds and touched his garment. (gasps) How many people do you think she touched on her way to touch the garment of Jesus? Do you know how important Jesus is? She touched his garment. She's sneezing up on everybody. She's made everybody in that crowd unclean. What do you think would make her risk public shaming? A public finger wagon from everybody in her town. What would make her risk that? Faith. Desperation. Right? A desperate faith. Desperate faith. I wonder how often have we been desperate? I was actually sitting trying to remember, what was the last time I felt desperate? I think it was a couple of weeks ago. I was in the kitchen and I'd lost track of my three-year-old son, Reed, just temporarily. It's okay. Don't worry, you guys. And so I started out calmly enough, you know, Reed, you know, Reed, where are you? And it was only a couple minutes later, I was in the middle of the street screaming my lungs out. Suzanne comes running from five houses down the road to come help me because I am frantically desperate to find my son. Now, poor guy was just hiding in the side yard, and now he's terrified to come out and show me where he is because he hears the fear in my voice. I was desperate. When was the last time you were desperate? I think life in 2019 in Gig Harbor affords us a lot of opportunities to not be desperate. There's one more doctor we can try. There's one more diet. There's a little bit more money that we can scrap up to go try something. And it, it holds us back from being totally desperate. But I know that a lot of you have reached the end. The end of the doctors and the money and the options. You're just quiet about it. You're not speaking up about it anymore. How many words does this woman say out loud? Nothing until she meets Jesus, right? Everybody knows her story. They've heard it all. There's nothing more to say, nothing more to offer. And she's gone quiet in her desperation. Be desperate, but man, don't let it show. I love that these stories in Mark 5 are all of people who are willing to go publicly desperate for Jesus. Desperate with a faith. Faith is the assurance of what you hope for. And this woman is going public with her, her faith in what she can't see. 
that just maybe Jesus might have healing power. And so in this moment, this desperate, unnamed, shunned woman becomes the most sincere follower of Jesus because she had heard about what Jesus might be capable of. She came to him and she reached out for him. And in that moment, we see a true and sincere faith. In um, my life, I've gotten to see that the, the most beautiful disciples of Jesus are also the ones who've lived moments of desperation, even lives of desperation, living on faith, on hope for what they cannot see. And that has been the case since the very beginning of the pages of Scripture, that those who follow God most dearly are those who live by faith the hope of what is not yet seen. And I just want to take a little caveat to encourage you, if you need some encouragement today, to go home and read Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. And look at all of these people who lived and died still in faith. We have living witnesses of those who are living by faith. And I have the privilege as a pastor of knowing some of those stories. One of them really came to life for me on Pentecost Sunday. Um, at the end of every service, we called and invited people to pray and to receive the Holy Spirit. And I was standing about here for most of those services and just calling and asking the Holy Spirit to come. But at 1045, I felt really compelled, really compelled by God to go and pray for Brian, who had come down front row and was praying again for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And the prayer that I felt invited to come and pray was, don't give up. Please keep persevering. And to pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon him. I didn't want to make a scene. It took me a while to actually cross the stage because I hadn't done it in any other service. And I wasn't feeling led to pray for anyone else. But I felt like there's just this, this little holy wink from Jesus who was like, don't worry, I've singled him out. It's okay, you can cross. And to pray for him. So I don't know what I was expecting in that moment, but I believe in miraculous healing and I'm always waiting for it. And I'm frustrated, I'm sure Brian even more so, um, that the Lord did not choose that day to heal his headaches. It's a frustrating mystery to me that God calls us to live by faith and not by sight. And I don't understand why everyone who is desperate for Jesus with faith that he can heal them and who presses in and reaches for Jesus doesn't get immediate healing. I don't know why that's the case. I take a lot of um, rest, though, in what comes next in the story. Because the healing of this woman is not a transactional moment where she gets what she needs from God and walks away. It's a relational moment. God has promised us so much more than physical healing But I also want you to hear me that I believe and hope for a total full body restoration. I really believe that that is coming. I really, really do. And until it does, I believe that God has the power to grant us all of those aspects of salvation, that whole body and soul healing, that well-doneness that come after that moment when the woman is healed. I'm going to trust that God really cares about that and that God really does care about singling you out 
to tell you to persevere and that your faith matters and that he really intends body and soul restoration for you. So let me show you that. I want you to watch Jesus and see how much he cares about your faith and your full body restoration. David, if you on the slides will jump around for me. I want to jump to verse 30. In verse 30, Jesus says, it says, Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned to the crowd and said, who touched my garments? The disciples questioned Jesus. I mean, are you kidding me? There's like a ton of people crowding around you and you're looking for the one that touched you. We've got a mission. Let's get going, right? But Jesus stays where he is. And looks harder. Verse 32 says, he looked around to see who had done it. I asked, when I asked the team for feedback, Judson Taylor, our communications director, found me some beautiful artwork. So Dave, now I'm going to flip back. I want you to see this painting by James Tizot from the 1800s. It's of Jesus healing the woman in the crowd. He sent me this, he sent me this picture and one other. Go ahead and show the catacombs. He took this picture in the Roman catacombs. It's from the second century. And I, I wasn't going to use this painting because it didn't feel authentic to the story because the crowds aren't there, right? But then as I sat with this story and I sat with the power of a God who looks around and singles out the one who's touched, I realized someone in the second century knew this story better than I did. Someone in the second century had had this experience of God, of being in a crowd and reaching out to Jesus for healing and experiencing in that moment that it was just them and Jesus. It didn't matter who was around. Jesus only had eyes. He was only seeking out. The one with the illness who was reaching out for him in faith. Jesus has this amazing power to see the crowd, but to seek you out. To seek you out. To seek me out. And all through the ages, this story that really happened in 30 AD has been speaking of the resilient, unchanging power of God to heal. Second century, 1800s, and today, we have a God who sees and who saves, and that has not changed. There may be crowds of people, but Jesus has eyes for you. And he might be dealing with the most important and acute person in the world, and he has not lost sight of the long-suffering one. He sees you. So the woman in faith who reaches out and touches the robe and immediately receives healing, God is not done with her. Now he wants to show her that I can not only heal you, but I can save you. God could give you full physical healing and it would not be enough. What you need in this life, forgive me, is not physical healing. It is a God who saves. You need a relationship with God. It's not the miracle. It's the meeting. It's the meeting with God. So she knows that God is seeking her out. She could have gotten her miracle and ran away, but she knows God is looking for her. And so she comes out of hiding and reveals herself in fear and trembling and falls down before Jesus. And Mark says he told her, she told him the whole truth. When Luke records this story in Luke 8, he says that she says, she tells Jesus why she touched him. 
and how she was healed, why she touched him and how she was healed. The whole crowd needed to hear this moment. Her story matters. It mattered to Jesus, but it also mattered to the crowd. And your story matters to Jesus, and it also matters to all of us, the whole truth of it. And so she speaks to Jesus and said, Jesus, this is why I touched you. I had heard reports about you. I had heard that everyone who touched you was healed, and I've been sick for 12 years. I've been bleeding forever. It hasn't stopped. I've lost everything that I've had. I've suffered so much, and I just thought maybe— Maybe if I could get to you, that's why I touched you. I'm sorry. I know I wasn't supposed to make you unclean. I know this prevents you from getting to do your work as a rabbi. I didn't mean to touch anybody else, but I just thought maybe. And then how, how was I healed? I just, I touched you. And then the bleeding stopped. I, I don't even know how to explain it. But right then and there, I know I'm healed. And Jesus had time to hear her whole truth, and the crowd just waits, wondering if this rabbi is going to rebuke her, send her away. What's going to happen? In verse 34, Jesus says to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. There's no rebuke from Jesus. He's not rushed. There's just this beautiful proclamation, I see you, and I save you, salvation for all of you. He speaks that healing, that sozo, that salvation in its full sense, body and soul, when he says, your faith has made you saved, whole, well. In that moment that Jesus recognizes that only Jesus could give her what she can't see. That moment of faith, meeting the power of God in the person of Jesus, brings full salvation. Eugene Peterson translates this, the risk of faith. The risk of faith that has made her well. It's not a mental exercise of faith. It's an action, body, embodied faith that gets up from the outskirts and pushes through the crowd and reaches out and touches Jesus. And that moment makes her fully well. Her physical healing is just a sign of the full salvation that Jesus can work in her to restore her to restore her whole person. He speaks to her, go in peace. The benediction of the rabbi. I've seen so many people with chronic illness live in an inexplicable peace because they have known the full salvation of God. Jesus says to her, go in peace and be healed of your disease. She's already healed. What's he offering now? It's the healing of all the agony It's the healing of all the suffering. That doesn't undo in a moment. That's the pain, the emotional pain of 12 years of rejection. That's the loss of family and society. All of that healing is going to take time and the power of God. And Jesus says, I have the saving power for the 12 years of agony. Go and be healed. I'm going to work that out in you. That salvation, that healing is available to you. With or without the physical healing, because the physical healing is coming. That is part of the whole salvation package. 
And he might just show it to you now to show that he has the power of full salvation, but with the physical salvation now, or until you get it fully, all of this salvation is available to you. Wellness, peace, the healing, the undoing of the agony of the suffering. This is the power of God. And her healing is to be a sign to us that that power really is available in the living spirit of Jesus. I love that Jesus doesn't say this to her privately, does he? It's all public because Jesus knows that one of the restorations that she needs is back into society. And so he speaks in front of everyone. This is daughter. This woman is part of the family. He's revealing to her, I have the time to seek out this unnamed woman. She doesn't have a Jairus daddy to go find Jesus for her. She has to come by herself. But Jesus, the good father in the person walking the earth, who seeks you out, speaks to you, son, daughter, I give you salvation, wellness, I give you peace. And I give you ongoing healing for all of your suffering, all of your disease. Are you desperate for Jesus? Do you know his whole salvation package? I want to invite you to press in. Ask for faith to believe in what you cannot see. I spoke to a man after first service who I know to be someone of long suffering. I asked him, what would you have added to the sermon? What would you have added? I love that he was, I was thinking of his suffering. He wasn't, he was thinking of his wife in the Alzheimer's Center. And what he said was, what I would have added is, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Ask for the faith to believe what feels unbelievable. I believe that Jesus can save forever. He will save you forever. He will give physical restoration either today or in the days to come. And until he does, all of his full salvation is available to you and to me. His peace, his power, his wellness, his restoration. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us for that. Esther Jane, who's visiting from England, has written a song and she is going to, the band is going to lead us in this song. And I want to invite you in, in the words that they sing to let it be a proclamation, a whisper of faith in your own soul. That Jesus has the power. And until we see that power fully, we are going to trust him and ask for the gifts of peace and restoration that only he can give. Let me pray for us. Jesus, give us a holy imagination for that moment in the crowd when it's just you and I. When it's just you and the person who feels unnamed, but you know. Where they had heard of what you were capable of, Jesus, would they hear the salvation that I've proclaimed today? And when they come to you, and reach out to you in faith? And would they receive wellness, wholeness of their salvation?
Jesus, we are praying today for physical miracles. We are praying for the miracle of meeting you. That even the testimony of this woman's miracle would be a means of meeting you. Would you seek us out? Look around until you find us. Until we know that you are inviting us to come out of hiding. To not be silent about our desperation anymore. But to speak to you our whole truth. Why we would even reach out. And how we want your healing. Jesus, would we feel in this moment that you have time for us? You are not rushed with us. That the whole salvation package is a gift you want to give.